0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Iowa, uh, that's our rival. We don't like them. And to stop their run game, to beat them in their house, means everything. So there's no motivation needed. Everyone should be self-motivated this week. Nothing needs to be said. We're all ready to go. You know, we've gotten the team on a good trend right now, and we're all really excited to play. Everybody's going out there every day, wanting to hit, wanting to get better, and just keep on Tightening up this family. We're just all enjoying ourselves. But I think um, with the way that it's gone the last couple years, it definitely plays into it. Um, So we're excited for another opportunity. And yeah, you know, it it, it is another game, but at the same time, I think the way it's gone the last couple years definitely has something to do with it. We know this is kind of the last ride for us um, and with this team. And, uh, you know, it's something that we can continue to, this momentum we've had in the last few weeks, we can kind of continue that upward climb. And, you know, this would be a great win to kind of cap off the year and and, uh, send some momentum into the offseason for these guys.
2: And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we get you ready for Friday's Nebraska-Iowa game. As you just heard, a lot, a lot of thought going into this one for Nebraska, an opportunity to finish the season out 5-1 after an 0-6 start, a very impressive win uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday, against Michigan State, and, and now you got to go on the road short week play an Iowa team that's coming off one of their best performances of the year a 63 nothing uh, win at Illinois but I don't know I mean as you start to look at this guys it, it, it just starting to feel more like a rivalry to me I know early on Robin in the Big Ten it felt forced Um, But as this series has moved on now, we're in the eighth year of this Heroes Trophy, it really does have a feel of a rival to me, in my opinion.
3: Well, one thing that helps a rivalry is when you go and get your butt kicked three years in a row and lose four of the last five meetings. Not only did Nebraska lose the last three, the average margin of defeat in that game has been 41-14 to uh, in in those games. And so uh, if there was any potential lack of motivation I, don't, I don't see any circumstances where there would be that alone should give this team all the fire it needs and uh, you know a lot of guys kind of tiptoed around the question of is Iowa a rival but Muhammad Berry had no interest in doing that and in fact he said straight up Iowa that's our rival we don't like them to stop their run game and go into their house and beat them it means everything so there's no motivation needed if that's how the players feel, and we all know how the fans feel, uh, that to me is the 100 percent definition of a college football rivalry.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get the why Nebraska fans are still reluctant to embrace this and, and call it your rival. I know initially it felt kind of forced. The Heroes Trophy was I mean, sponsored by High Sponsored, yeah, brought to you by High <laughs> V. I mean, yeah, that was kind of hokey, and and I'm not a huge fan of of some of those, you know, kind of forced trophy games or whatever. But bottom line is you've gotten punched in the mouth the last three three times you've played these guys and if you if you don't dislike that enough to say you know what I don't like these guys and and want to beat them every single year then then I don't know you you, you probably should go try and do something else other than football Well,
2: and and I think Iowa I know they've tried to downplay it initially but when you go on our our um site for rivals hawkeye and read the responses of their fan base about nebraska it's pretty clear uh, they don't like nebraska very much no, they haven't s- from day one i mean and th- i think they they call us the nubs or nebby they, they never refer to it as nebraska <laughs> we're either n- the nubs or nebby uh, but then you, you go watch uh, the des moines the des moines d- tv station they do a bit where they make fun of nebraska on there all the time and they have a redneck cousin named cooter ray uh, Chris Hassel, the former Sports Center anchor, um, started that when he was a Des Moines TV anchor where he played Cooter Ray, the redneck Iowa cousin, the redneck Nebraska cousin, and they made fun of the Huskers. So I think there is a lot of animosity. I just think it got off to a slow start because Nebraska dominated the series at the beginning. It was three to one Huskers out of the gates. Bo Pelini uh, had Iowa, you know almost all, all but the one game Ron Kellogg started. It started to turn, I think, when Sean Eichhorst opened his big mouth. When he fired mm-hmm. Iowa, when he fired Pelini and trolled Iowa, basically saying, I didn't care about the Iowa game, I don't think Iowa was very good. That's that's when Kirk Ferentz got really mad and Iowa started playing this series a lot harder.
3: Yeah, and again, it takes, you know, I think a lot of times part of the reluctance for Nebraska fans was that, you know, Nebraska dominated in Iowa for so long. You know, they still own the season or I guess the all-time series – Uh, by a pretty wide margin but um, you know when not only do they start losing games they started getting whipped Uh, that kind of makes you kind of lose your stance if we're above these guys I think that was part of it you know Nebraska fans thought they were so far above Iowa they didn't even want to consider them a rival they wanted Wisconsin to be the rival they wanted Michigan and Ohio State Uh, but you know with Iowa winning and winning the way they have and then the fans just across the river uh, talking all that noise uh, that has all the mixins for a good natural rivalry even though this thing felt first forced to begin with
0: well and I get why Iowa has, has disliked Nebraska for so long I mean they're they're your neighbors that have had all this tradition and success that you wish that your program had and and I'm not trying to throw shade at, at Iowa necessarily but uh, for so long, you were, were kind of envious of your next-door neighbors, and now the tables have turned. I mean, Iowa's had way more success lately than Nebraska. And so, um, you know, and it's, I think it's slowly coming around, but uh, this is a deal. I mean, there's no, in my mind, there's no question that this is a rivalry, and, and I like that guys like Muhammad Barry are kind of embracing it and, and are willing to kind of, you know, put it out there and say, yeah, we don't like these guys, and, and
2: we're going to go out there and we're going to try and get a win in their house. You're listening here to the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. We're getting you ready for Friday's game in Iowa City. It's another 11 a.m. game. It will be Nebraska's eighth 11 a.m. kickoff of the year. I'm pretty sure that's a record. I don't know how you could play more uh, than eight 11 a.m. games in a year uh, for any program. I mean, that might lead the country. It's um, unreal. You know, Nebraska, we, we, we've been used to it. I, I'm not, I mean, as a media guy that works the game, we don't mind the 11 a.m. games. But uh, I'll tell you, last week's game. Um, if they didn't play that game at 11 a.m., I don't know how they would have been able to play it at 2.30 or at night. Uh, so it was a blessing that Michigan State game was at 11 a.m. And I'll be curious, as we kind of wrap up our opening thoughts here, what, what, will get, what will Nebraska gain out of that win? I mean, the, the mental toughness they got out of it to go blow for blow last week, uh, will that carry over to this week? Or will there be a physical toll on Friday in Iowa? That's really what we don't know. And there's still some big questions well, what can J.D. Spielman give Nebraska and whatnot? But uh, how will the Huskers look on a short week after such a physical game on Saturday?
3: Well, I think, if anything, this game showed that Nebraska is now capable of winning games when things don't go to script, when the weather is terrible and you can't throw the football and there's snow blowing in your face and you can't feel your hands and uh, you're playing one of the best defenses in the Big Ten that won't let you run your offense the way that you want. Uh, you know, It was an ugly game uh, in a lot of ways. But it was a great game in a lot of ways because of Nebraska winning in a muck it up type of style. They won Michigan State style of of ball, uh, and they they did it uh, you know with not a lot of breaks going their way, um, and they created their own. Uh, momentum. And and so I think that is probably as big of a step that we've seen from this team as anything that, yeah, you can go blow out Illinois, Minnesota, and Bethune-Cookman, but they beat a team that was regarded as one of the best teams in this conference at their own game in a lot of adverse situations, whether it be the weather or, you know, not having one of your best offensive playmakers. uh, and, And to pull that win out the way they did um, that might be as big of a highlight of this season as any game so it far. Just,
2: I mean, it just gave Nate the, the the stretch of the year of more credibility. I don't think beating Bethune-Cookman, Minnesota-Illinois, no. I mean, it looked good to get wins, but there wasn't a lot of credibility with those three wins. I think that win, at least, like, all right, this thing can work, especially even when the weather wasn't allowing much to work.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that was the big question about Scott Frost when he got hired is, okay, can his can his system kind of, you know, Produce, or, or can they win games when when the the well, weather is bad and, and the there's a big you know kind of muck it up Big Ten style of, of game late late in the year and I think they proved that they could and and I you know I, I feel like I say this every week but the mental edge uh, for Nebraska to go out there and play a, a physical brand of game and win against a team that that that's how they play. I mean, we haven't seen Nebraska really have much success against teams like that in a long time. And so for them to get that win against a team that plays that way, I think gives them a little bit of a mental edge heading into Iowa.
2: And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the offensive storylines, including J.D. Spielman and what his presence could potentially mean in this game on Friday. That's all next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority
1: on Nebraska athletics. You know, it was kind of a a good lesson in perseverance and, you know, maybe things not going our way offensively all the time. We're not able to do a lot of the things we
2: wanted to do there at the beginning of the game and just finding a way to win. A game that it it wasn't about the stats, it was just about making smart decisions, whether it's throwing the ball away or whatever the... The case may be just finding a way to to win and move the ball. So um, kind of an interesting game. But Michigan State's defense was very talented, so it made it tough. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, you just heard from quarterback Adrian Martinez here as he's getting ready to play in his first ever Heroes Trophy game. And, you know, Nate, as you look at last week, I thought that game against Michigan State just showed us a lot about Adrian Martinez, just his toughness that he was able to kind of win a game where maybe he was limited. I mean, it's tough to operate in those kinds of conditions, that cold, the wind, the snow coming down. And sometimes you have to check your ego out the door and and kind of play within what you can do in those elements. And for a young quarterback, a true freshman, to be able to handle that last week, I I think that's a game where he's going to grow a lot from in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, this season's been a a season of firsts for Adrian Martinez, obviously, being a true freshman. But – that last week, I I do think is is um, you know maybe a game where where you can look back and and see that you know that's something that he can really build on or, or take a lot of lessons out of that because. I mean, he didn't. He was not playing at a, at a super high level. Uh, there, obviously, there was a lot of a lot of disadvantages there, given the weather and, and the cold, and I mean everything else. Uh, the defense that he was facing, uh, because that was that was a, a pretty impressive defense that they were going against, and there was not a whole lot going his way. Uh, but he kept plugging away. Uh, he didn't force anything. Didn't didn't necessarily, you know. I, I think in times, at least in recent history, you've seen sometimes where the quarterback is trying to trying to win the game on his own and you saw you know maybe some forces or some passes being forced or you know taking some extra risks and, and you didn't necessarily see him do that he he, he just kind of stayed steady and and um you know he, he helped lead the team to a win and i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of good that you can take out of that experience
2: you know and, and divino zigbo a thousand yards and we kind of knew this was coming but I'll tell you, nobody knew this was coming back in July, August, even September. I mean, I think the Purdue game was clearly the moment you're like, holy cow. And even I still think even the Purdue game, it was hard to know if that was just kind of the opponent or if that was truly divine. And, you know, then the following week at Wisconsin, he didn't get that. He got five carries. Yeah. Um, so for him to to do what he's done essentially over the last seven games, it's quite remarkable. And. Um, this will be another physical t- tough test to run the ball. Iowa has one of the better run defenses in the country, a very sound unit, a very deep defensive line. Um, there's going to be a lot that we're going to find out about Divino Zigbo. Nebraska's ability uh, to get a push with their offensive line against another good defensive line they're going to see on Friday.
0: Yeah, you're right. No one saw this coming, and I think at the beginning of the season, most people were – had kinda of settled in on the idea that he was gonna be, you know, a short yardage type of guy or maybe a situational back. Um, not definitely not the the player that we've seen down the stretch. And uh, and really he's the poster boy for for being a guy that that is bought in and, and what the system, what Scott Frost's system and, and Zach Duval's system can do for you. I mean, he's changed his body he stayed the course, you know, when a lot of other guys could have bounced out and 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 quit. Uh, Devine Ozigbo didn't do that. He he stayed the course, and um, and he's really reaping the rewards. I mean, the first thousand yard rusher since Amir Abdullah. I mean, that's pretty incredible when you really take a step back and, and think about it. But he's given this team an awful lot, and and they've kind of. I think the offensive line, everyone's kind of stepped up, but he he in particular has uh, has been playing at a very high level lately, and. Uh, yeah. One last test here for the senior running back against a, a very good uh, Iowa defensive front.
2: Well, I think a big piece to this game Friday will be J.D. Spielman, and and if he plays, what he can do. Um, and I, I don't think anybody was surprised that he was out on Saturday against Michigan State. I just think the body language of the week—you could just tell that he wasn't going to be available. Um, Scott Frost even on Thursday um, and Troy Walters on Wednesday they they're pretty toned back just with their comments about Spielman and kind of what they were expecting to see from him in that game where I don't know I, I just have a feeling he's going to play and you know the weather's going to play a factor too you know what, what can Nebraska do if it's raining or wet uh, in Iowa City but I, I I just think having JD Spielman available in this game could really, uh, make a difference giving that second uh, perimeter option. Because Iowa likes to play heavy. They want to play with more linebackers uh, on the field at times. And if you can have Spielman rolling with Morgan and Mike Williams and Maurice Wall, all these different weapons, I think that's where Nebraska can maybe find some matchups. and Just like what Northwestern did to Iowa and some other teams did do them this year.
0: J.D. Spielman means everything, I think, this week. And we, we saw just – you know, how he changes your offense last week. Obviously, the weather played a, a big role in that as well. But when you take J.D. out of the equation, it allows teams to kind of key on, on uh, you know, Stanley Morgan Jr., and, and I think that you're, you're right. I mean, Iowa wants to play this game in a phone booth. They, they want to be able to, to go heavy, load it up, and, and uh, you know, kind of muck it up just like Michigan State did. But uh, I think the, the key here is if, if you can have a guy on the perimeter like J.D. along with, with Stanley – um, you know, and have some other athletes like a Maurice Washington on the field, a lot like what we saw against Wisconsin where Nebraska tried to spread those guys out uh, and create mismatches, I, I think that changes everything. So if, if he's able to go and the weather is, is able, you know, willing to cooperate enough to allow Adrian Martinez to, to be an effective passer, I think that changes the game tremendously in Nebraska's favor
2: one well, even even just conducive enough to allow martinez to run cuz i felt the footing and and just the conditions on michigan state against michigan state along with the level of defense made it very difficult for adrian martinez to run the ball especially in the second half if if martinez is a true running threat in this game i really like nebraska's chances on friday
0: yeah i do too I and mean, and I know Iowa's, you know, Iowa's defense, especially their rush defense, is is good. I don't. It's not quite as good as, as what we saw against Michigan State. It was giving up what seventy six or yards. even Michigan, yeah, or even Michigan for that matter. So I do think there is going to be some more some more holes, or those holes aren't going to close quite as fast because what we saw on on Saturday against Michigan State, I mean, there would be a hole there, and that that thing would close real fast. I mean, that front seven was was pretty nasty. And so I do think that there's going to be some some spots of open here against Iowa. And, and if Martinez is able to get things going with his legs a little bit, um, you know, th- that's going to open things up with the pass, too. So it's going to be interesting to see just how effective he is against that front.
2: Well, on the start, too, I mean, Nebraska's offense this last week was the first time since the Wisconsin game Nebraska hasn't scored a touchdown on their opening drive and really since the Purdue game. So everything post Michigan, Nebraska had scored a touchdown on their opening drive other than the Wisconsin game and the Michigan state game. So I think the start again out of the gates will be so important for Nebraska offensively uh, to maybe just get some rhythm and establish that out of the gates.
0: Well, there was a crazy stat heading into the Michigan State game. Uh, it, all those games where they had started out, um, you know, scoring points. Martinez was like eighteen of eighteen passing. Uh, and and you could really even go back. I think the only incompletion on an opening drive in in the first seven games or, or first eight games was uh, that incompletion that that Michigan picked off. That would have been uh, probably a J.D. Spielman touchdown. So I mean, he had started the game off perfect, basically, uh, ever since the the Michigan game or where, uh, where he came back from from that injury where he missed against Troy. But um, you know, so and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. You know, I think. He, there was a lot that he could learn from uh, from the Michigan State game, and so if things don't necessarily go or start off as planned here against Iowa, I, th- I still think they'll be okay. Um, you know, because he's he's kind of he knows that he can go out there and and still get a win even if things uh, you know kind of go off the rails a little bit.
2: All right, when we come back, uh, Nate and I are going to discuss defense for Nebraska as the defensive storylines to watch as the Huskers take on the Hawkeyes in Iowa City. That's all next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online,
1: your authority on Nebraska athletics. Coach Chins and I have argued about Nebraska and Iowa for a long time. Uh, now he's finally on the good side, but you know he knows a lot of those guys over there, and uh, they're good people. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be as emotional for him going over there as, as it was for me coming back here. So, but we have to put all that aside when we go play, and it just comes down to what happens on the field. I can't really imagine being in that position. I can't imagine coaching against Nebraska. You know. Um, But, yeah, it is unique, and I think it means a lot to him. I know for us as a defense, we want to go up there and play as well as we can, and especially for him, you know, it would mean a lot.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus now talking some defensive storylines to watch for Nebraska against Iowa as this segment of the show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha and one here in Lincoln. So get on into any of those six Omaha and Lincoln Tanner's locations to watch all the football Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here over the weekend, and you just heard a bunch of guys, Nate, talking about Eric Shenander and kind of what this game, what this week means to him, um, a former Iowa Hawkeye player, uh, played for Kirk Ferentz for the Hawkeyes. A lot of these same coaches were on that staff as well. Um, you know he, he knows Brian Ferentz very well. In fact, when uh, Shenander was at Oregon and Ferent, uh, Brian Ferentz and some guys went out there to study the morning practice scheduling that Chip Kelly does. And Oregon and Iowa switched to that. So there's a lot of connection here uh, for a guy like Schnander. Now, he doesn't have the uh, the tattoo of you a Hawkeye on his leg, which Bob Diaco, by the way, literally wore pants even in the summer. Because he did not want anyone to see that Hawkeye tattoo he had on doesn't his Bielema leg. Doesn't Bielema
0: have a Hawkeye tattoo as well?
2: Bielema, Bob Stoops. And uh, Diaco. So it must have been kind of an <laughs> 80s, 90s yeah. Iowa thing. I mean, if you were a real man, you got a Hawkeye tattoo. I now, I don't, know, I don't know if he has any Hawkeye markings on his body, but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> this this um, this game, I think, means a lot to him. And he's going to have a pretty good handle, I think, of, of what they're going to see.
0: You know, no, no doubt it means a lot to him. I mean, he's an Iowa guy. He obviously played at Iowa. Now he's at Nebraska. He's recruiting against Ferrans and in, in the Hawkeyes. I mean, he's and he's trying to get a foothold in the state of Iowa on on the recruiting trail too. So, um, you know, and even a guy like Frank Verducci has got some Iowa ties. He was the offensive coordinator yeah. for Hayden Fry. Hayden so, Fry on that Rose Bowl team. Exactly. So, I mean, there's there's some you know when the uh, the departure of Bob Diaco did not mean that all the uh, uh, Iowa ties on on at Nebraska are, are gone with uh, with Chenander and Verducci now and um, and they are going to have an idea of, of what it's going to be like, what they're going to see. Uh, I think that uh, you know that's that's going to be something that obviously can help Nebraska. But um, you know, getting a win against a team like this, I, I think, is is going to be extra sweet for for guys like Chenander and Verducci if the, if the Huskers are able to to pull one out in Iowa City, just because of their ties there. And and um, and I think that that does kind of. You know that would kind of plant a flag in the Big Ten West, saying that maybe Nebraska is a team to be reckoned with going forward.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we're talking defensive storylines for Nebraska now going into this game, and I want to go with Antonio Reed out of the gates. He earned a black shirt this week. He was the the one of the lone guys, uh, kind of playing a starting type role that did not have one yet. Uh, he gets it here into week 13 of his senior year at Nebraska. Surprisingly though, Nate, he wasn't named the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Minnesota had a linebacker go for 20 tackles in a losing effort. Um, and then uh, Iowa, uh, A.J. Espinenza, um, he, he was the other guy that won it. So uh, almost nine out of ten times Antonio reads a Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week other than this past week. But uh, he really brought the wood um, and it's gonna be another kind of game like that where they're gonna need guys like Antonio Reed to, to bring it like we saw against Michigan State. Well, if Antonio Reed plays
0: at that same type of level that he did against Michigan State against Iowa, then you gotta you gotta feel pretty good about Nebraska's defense. Um, and I, this is not, the same Iowa type of offense that I think a lot of people have kind of become, you know, gotten to know. Lately. They got their first
2: 100-yard running back last week exactly. of the season.
0: I mean, that is just – that blows my mind. When I heard that stat uh, heading into to last week's game that they had yet to have a 100-yard rusher on the season, I mean, that's just – that's unreal. That's totally off script for, for typical Iowa team. So, um, you know, and I I think that that probably bodes well for Nebraska. I don't know. I I think that they've got some injuries too, or kind of banged up, um, you know, as far as their receivers go, Uh, obviously they, they're not, you know, not loaded with a bunch of dynamic playmakers at at that position. You do have a Noah Fant. So I I think maybe that's, that's certainly a storyline, you know, uh, not only the matchup there of, of former you know Omaha kid playing against Nebraska, but how is Nebraska going to scheme and, and maybe try to take away a guy like Noah Fan or T.J. Hawkinson? Uh, because those two, those are arguably their top two receiving threats on, on their offense.
2: Let's talk about Noah Fan for a minute because you and I we we were uh, we covered him way from the beginning when I mean I I can still remember when he was at Burke as a sophomore mm-hmm. and um, we heard he was maybe the best sophomore in the state at that time, but Kind of under the radar still, and then transferred to Omaha South, and um, you know, I, I I think people had an idea he had potential, but I think you and I'd be lying if we thought he was a first round pick in high school. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's really amazing how good he's gotten since his time at, at, at Omaha South and Omaha Burke, um, and it just is more salt in the wound. Uh, but I just think about it. we saw him at a rival's camp, we saw him at Nebraska's camp, and. I didn't see anything like at all what we're seeing right now from the guy. I mean, the, the gains he's made since high school are, are quite incredible.
0: Oh well, yeah. I mean, he's made a tremendous amount of physical gains. He had the talent, the potential was always there. Uh, but yeah, I would be lying if I, you know, if I said, Oh, I knew he was going to be a first round guy. You know, I, I didn't know that. And, um, you know, for me though, my biggest question was always maybe the mental side of things. I, I knew that, that Noah was a tremendous athlete, uh, and that he could really play whatever he wanted to play, whether that was you know a big wide receiver, or tight end, or even you know defensive end or outside linebacker on defense. I, I think he could play all that. But I was always more curious about how he was gonna uh, you know kind of mature mentally. You know, because I've seen Noah get frustrated. I've seen him kind of get out of the game sometimes. You know, growing up in high school, and and so that was my biggest question. But when he
2: was, he wasn't a weight room guy in high school, yeah,
0: he wasn't necessarily a weight room guy, but he was a multi sport athlete. I mean, um, yeah. qualified for state triple jump as a freshman in high school. Yeah, I mean, he's just great athlete so um but he's I mean he has grown up at Iowa he's he's made gains physically I think that he's in a, a, a good he's you know, gone right he's NFL yeah I, I think he's gone I I know that he said just this past week that um you know he's looking forward to getting his grade from the from the NFL and seeing kind of where he's um picked to go as far as you know his draft grade but uh you know if it's not where he wants it to be then he's going to be happy to come back to Iowa next year but I'd be shocked if he wasn't graded out as a first round or or even maybe second a second round guy, but I, so I'd be shocked if he came back to Iowa. But uh, but he's tremendous talent, and and uh, I'm glad that he's had success at, at Iowa. Just knowing him, you know, covering him coming up in in Omaha, but uh, certainly you know things haven't necessarily gone this season the way that I think a lot of people thought they would go. Uh, but he's handled that whole situation, I think, pretty darn well.
2: Yeah, the, I mean, I think the media and everybody has tried to to make a huge story about that, um, that he's fallen off in the offense. And, and they tried to you know, link together the tweets that Noah's brother, a high school coach here in Omaha, Chris, made um, on Twitter, kind of criticizing the misusage of Noah Fant. Um, but Iowa has just kind of taken that in stride. And, and Kirk Ferentz also downplayed that. And then we saw him last week against Illinois score a touchdown and have a big game. So, uh, nonetheless, it's going to be a tough assignment for Nebraska you know Noah Fant's going to get his fair share of targets in this game, as this game means as much to him as any player on that Iowa Hawkeye roster. All right, when we come back, we want to have a mailbag segment this week, but instead uh, Nate and I are going to discuss the Big Ten Conference and kind of where this league is at right now through 13 weeks and kind of where Nebraska sits maybe as we start to look ahead to 2019. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
1: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, we've had some injuries that you kind of can't help, uh, that are just going to happen in football. But uh, every year I've been around Zach Duvall and his strength staff. Uh, we've been one of the healthiest teams around. And I think a lot of the injuries that kind of plagued Nebraska players before have been limited this year other than some of those that you can't help that are just going to happen once in a while and are unfortunate. Uh, We haven't had many soft tissue injuries or shoulders or things of that nature, and and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the kids are bigger and stronger and they're able to uh, be more physical and
2: survive in Big Ten games. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. You just heard Scott Frost talking about uh, just how his team has adjusted and his staff has adjusted to life in the Big Ten and gives a lot of credit to strength coach Zach Duvall and the work that he's done with this team, but uh, Nate and I now wanted to just take this opportunity to to look at the league and kind of where this league is at um, at the end of the year and maybe even heading into next year. Because Nate, I, I think when you look at just the West in general, um, I mean nobody could have predicted the year that's happened in this Western Division from Northwestern potentially going eight and one, winning the division if they beat Illinois, they'll be eight and one um, on Saturday. Uh, in the conference. Wisconsin uh, taking a step back for their standards, you know if they beat Minnesota Saturday, they'll be eight and four uh, on the year. Uh, Purdue, you know, beating Ohio State, but then losing to Minnesota. Uh, you know Minnesota beat, you know getting beat as bad as they did against Nebraska, um, but beating Illinois, and then obviously the big win against Purdue. Um, so the West itself, And then Iowa, you know, we talked about them. Uh, Iowa easily could be an eight and two team right now, Um, nine and two type team. But here they are sitting, um, you know, with four losses here, seven and four. Um, And, you know, I think three of those four, if not all four, they would like to have had back because Iowa probably could have beaten Wisconsin. They could have beaten Penn State. They could have beaten Purdue and they could have beaten Northwestern. So um, it's a hard division to read. uh, But I'll tell you one thing I like where Nebraska sits here for the future.
0: Yeah, you can make a case that Iowa should have won won all those games. Iowa probably should have won the division. Yeah, year. I mean, they – it's hard to say that they gave those games away, but, I mean, in some of those games, that's what you almost felt like, that, that um, when they lost them, they – they that whoever was winning those games kind of kind of stole one from Iowa there, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're still seven and four, four and four in the conference heading into this weekend. And um, you know, and I, I go back and forth. To me, as far as the Big Ten West is concerned, what the bigger story is if it's if it's the emergence of Northwestern, kind of locking things up with what three weeks to go yet, um, or if it was the kind of the fall off of, of Wisconsin because that was they were the top five team at the beginning of the season,
2: right? Yeah, Wisconsin came in, um, you know, I mean, we did our ranking the Big Ten series that we do every summer on Husker Online. And, I mean, they, they had basically a number one type level guy at almost every position. The one thing, I'll still say this, Nate, about Wisconsin that got my attention was when Nebraska went out there on the year, Wisconsin had just three sacks on the year. And, you know, that was almost the midway point of the year. So their lack of pass rush on defense Um, They just didn't have the same level of defense that we saw this year compared to the past four or five seasons, and all the turnover that's happened there with uh, Jim Leonard replacing um, Justin Wilcox and Justin Wilcox replacing Dave Aranda, I think finally it kind of caught up to them a little bit. Um, and you know Hornybrook kind of—I mean, he's—he's I, he's been okay. But let's let's be real. Hornybrook's not an elite quarterback. Oh. Um, Jack Cohn got you know has been playing lately for them. I think that Kansas City kid coming in there is it Mertz? Yeah, Mert, uh, uh, Graham Mertz. He's someone that I'll be curious to see what they do with him. But Wisconsin just hasn't been Wisconsin. And that uh, we'll have Jonathan Taylor one more year to see what he can do. Um, and he's going to be you know with him there, they're always going to be an eight to ten win level team. Um, but I think they took a big step back.
0: Yeah, they, they definitely took a big step back. And, you know, for I don't know how many years, I, I've always kind of felt like Northwestern was one of the teams that got a lot of run preseason and then turned out to be a little bit of a fraud. Well, that's that wasn't the case this year they they uh you know they've been playing very very well last week you saw you saw them after wrapping up the the division they they go and they're a underdog against minnesota at minnesota and i think that was a little bit of a, a slap in the face i know <laughs> fitzgerald I mean,
2: sir, what is, Ve- is vegas I have no what idea. is vegas drinking i
0: mean <laughs> that was the like one of the weirdest lines that I,
2: minnesota's not good no and North Northwestern's a sound team. Like and, and they're playing their best football right now. That that was stealing money.
0: Yeah, that was that was definitely stealing money. I but like you said, I, you look at how things are playing out this year, and you like where Nebraska's at. Obviously, things didn't go the way that really anybody thought they would go for Nebraska this year, especially the start of the season. Uh, but when you when you look to the future and the pieces that Nebraska has coming back, what some of the, the pieces that the big other Big Ten West teams are losing – um, you know, you've got some coaching changes like, a, you know, that are going to be taking place. You, you've, you've got, uh, you know, Northwestern's losing, losing a guy like Thorson, uh, although they've got a, a good uh, quarterback coming back up uh, from, that, from the transfer that they got, former five-star transfer. But uh, there's, I mean, Nebraska's positioned very well to kind of make a run and, and maybe even make that run next year.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. as we talk recruiting in the next segment, I'm going to ask you this. We're not quite at Christmas time, but we both have kids, Nate. They're starting to make their Christmas list. Uh, What would be on Nebraska's Christmas wish list as far as recruiting? And I'll start here first. Somebody that can get to a quarterback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a pass rusher is probably right at the top of the list. If it's not the top of the list, it's it's pretty dark. You can close.
2: argue this is maybe the worst three- or four-year stretch of pass rushing Nebraska's had in history.
0: Yeah, in, yeah, in history. Uh, at least since I've ever followed or covered the team, I, I don't remember a, a time where – Nebraska's gone this long without a player three straight
2: seasons without an NFL level pass. Richard. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's not a guy that, that you necessarily have to be worried about at all times. They're just guys. Yeah. They're just, they're just guys. And that's no disrespect. It's just kind of is what it is at, at that position. And, um, and I think that's definitely something that this this coaching staff needs to address, wants to address, and and they're wanting to, to pick up and add a guy um, to or two or three to kind of help them. Uh, we'll take you know, four, yeah, too. <laughs> in, in that in that department going forward. You know, between now and the de- the early signing period on December nineteenth, they they're definitely wanting to add a couple a couple more pieces that will help them in that department uh, on this defensive side of the football.
2: And then on offense, I mean, is I still worry about this for Nebraska as we kind of just look way ahead to next year. Can they replace, how do they replace Stanley Morgan? And I think back in the summer, we're like, Oh, Woodyard and Williams would grow into this, but they've had such minimal roles, Nate, this year for Nebraska um, that I think that is a big concern that after J.D. Spielman, who is your next receiver that you're going to utilize in this offense?
0: Yeah, you, I've been beating the offensive line drum for a long time, but – now that Nebraska got Bryce Benhart in this class, that is the by far and away the most important or the biggest question, I guess you could say, is how they're going to replace Stanley Morgan Jr. And right now, I, I don't know, you can't point to any one person on this roster and say, okay, that's the that's the error apparent. That's that's the guy that Stanley Morgan's going to pass the torch to uh, as, as he plays his net last game as a Nebraska Cornhusker. So, um, you know, and I don't know if that's going to come on the recruiting front. I really like the guys that they have committed already, and Darian Chase and Jamie Nance. But I don't know – I mean, they're not guys that, that are going to be able to step into Stan's shoes as true freshmen, certainly. So does that mean Nebraska has to go the grad transfer route? Do they try and bring in a wide receiver that's, that has been established? And uh, and, and we all know it, if it's going to be a guy that can – that is. Almost to the level of a Stanley Morgan Jr. type of guy, that's going to be awful hard to do. Every team in the country wants to bring in a guy like that. Yeah. So, um, so, But it's going to be interesting to see how they They'll address have some that. results
2: to sell, though. They'll be able yeah. to sell that. So, no question. Uh, well, hey, we'll pick this conversation back up, Nate. We're going to talk recruiting next here uh, as we'll get a full recap of Nebraska's latest commit and how the full weekend went. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Line Show. You're listening to the Husker
0: Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Yeah, we're gonna get out in force uh, right after the game, so we'll leave already this weekend and get out on the road, and uh, I think what's been happening here uh, is pretty apparent to a lot of the people that we're talking to. From where we started to where we are now, I, every single parent and kid we're talking to can see where this is going and can see the progress, see the fan base sticking with us through thick and thin, and, and I think uh, Think they can all see that this is a program on the rise. So I, I think that's going to help us when we get out and we're going to get out and try to capitalize on that right away.
2: And we're back here on this special holiday edition of the Husker online show as we're getting you ready for Black Friday's game, Iowa, Nebraska, and uh, talking some recruiting now here, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as Robin Washit is away now with the basketball team. Um, but let's talk some recruiting, Nate. Nebraska had seven official visitors in town Not exactly a Chamber of Commerce weekend in Lincoln, Nebraska. In fact, about as bad of weather conditions as you could ever have for a football game in Nebraska um, really the last two weeks. Um, I don't know in my lifetime coming to games at Memorial Stadium if there's ever been a worse back-to-back stretch of weather and for all those people mad that the game was at eleven a.m. and not two thirty against Michigan State, be thankful that game was at eleven a.m. Because if they played that game at two thirty, I don't know how they could have played the game.
0: Yeah, you couldn't hardly see at two thirty. I mean, it was like a whiteout almost uh, at two thirty. So, so for all the weird stuff that we saw in that game, eleven a.m. was yeah. maybe the best thing out yeah, of it. That was definitely the yeah the the best window to to get that game in because if it had been any later. I don't know. I mean, we would have seen 10 times the amount of crazy things happen, but yeah, that's, that is less than ideal between the 11 AM start and the weather. That was uh, that was kind of a rough set of circumstances that Nebraska had to work with. But I tell you what, they, they took what they, what they had. And, and uh, they kind of made, uh, made chicken salad out of, you know, what? So uh, <laughs> it, and it turned out pretty well. I mean, I like Nebraska's approach with handling the cold weather and, um, you know when I worked at Nebraska we, we would always try to treat it like it was no big deal almost try to embrace it like hey this is a lot of fun to play in weather like this this is football isn't this weather. awesome yeah this is this is awesome <laughs> you get to play in the snow you know you get a chance to experience all four seasons and this and that it's like playing
2: uh, a Tom Brady yeah
0: exactly <laughs> well, yeah you, you always point to the NFL obviously you know oh, Green Bay yeah what what happens if you get drafted by Green Bay or Buffalo or Chicago or you know even P- Pittsburgh or whatever Baltimore uh, I know we did a study one Time where um, we we looked at every NFL team, the stadiums that they play in, and the average temperatures that they play in, uh, really from November on through the the, the Super Bowl, and uh, it was something like seventy over seventy percent of the NFL teams play in in cold weather stadiums or cold weather areas. Uh, you know, w- once uh, once you get into once you get into the winter time, so it, it's almost it's unavoidable that if you if you have aspirations of playing in the NFL, you're gonna play in weather like that. Uh, and then we also did a study of what what typical November is like uh, in, in Lincoln. It really wasn't all that bad.
2: Usually, I mean, our Novembers, we've had some 60s and yeah. even, I think, 70-degree days before November. Uh, this has been maybe one of the wettest Novembers and Octobers in the state on record, probably one of the five wettest falls in the history, um, you know, in the last 20, 30, 40 years. So um, it's been a very unique fall. But, native through all of that, Nebraska gets a commitment Uh, commit number 21 out of the weekend, Miles Farmer, a defensive back out of the Atlanta area. He is the fourth commitment now from the state of Georgia. Surprisingly, no Florida commits yet, but four Georgia guys were... We thought it might be the other way around, at least with Florida being kind of the, the bell state for Nebraska, where it would be, you know, f- what was it, Flobraska or fl-
0: fl- Florida Br- braska or, yeah, I don't know, f- whatever.
2: Flo-braska, yeah, Flowy <laughs> okay, I, we're not making t-shirts, I yeah. promise, uh, but getting uh, more guys from the geor- state of Georgia and another big 6'3 guy, he'll be a safety, am I, am I right yep, on that?
0: Yeah, Miles Farmer's coming into to Nebraska as a safety, 6'3", he's up to 192 pounds right now, um, and really a big, long range. Rangey kid, great length. I mean, that's that's what Nebraska values. They they want first and foremost, they want tough physical guys uh, in in their secondary. Uh, Travis Fisher values guys that are that play. You know, he wants a bunch of dogs back there is what he'll tell you. And and that's what exactly what Miles Farmer is. He is a very physical player. Um, you know, he, he kind of hits like a linebacker, and he's got some coverage skills of a corner, and he plays safety. So he's kind of got a, the mixture of, of everything that you're looking for there. Um, and at 6'3", 192 pounds right now, there's no telling really what he could grow into. I still think that, that he's will probably stay at safety, probably max out around 210, 215 or so. Uh, but this is a kid that, that can that runs very well, like I said, has coverage skills of a corner. he has played corner at, at Atlanta Westlake. Um, you know and they play a very strong schedule. So I mean he's, he's played up against a great amount of talent throughout his high school career. And, uh, and we've seen that these kids from Atlanta that, that play in the highest levels there uh, be able to make that transition fairly easy uh, to Nebraska. You know, you, you can go back to Aaron Williams. You know, when, he, when Aaron Williams came in, it was, it was uh, you know, Avery Anderson and, and Eric Lee that were getting a lot of the run as far as the, those defensive backs that were going to come in and play early. And not so much Aaron Williams, but it was Aaron Williams that actually came in and, and made, a, made a, an impact right away his freshman year. So I think Miles Farmer uh, has got the same opportunity to do that. Uh, And this was a deal where Nebraska offered him on February 1st. Uh, right, you know, when when they were in, in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl uh, playing against Auburn, and they'd stayed on him ever since that point in time. And so, uh, this was more, you know, Miles Farmer coming to Nebraska this weekend, his first official visit, this wasn't just, uh, you know, an opportunity for him you know, saying, hey, I'm going to go check Nebraska out. This was more of him saying, I'm going to Nebraska to make sure that's where I want to be for the next four or five years. And, and he, he loved every minute of it.
2: Nate, there's a lot of guys here, so we can't really get into all of them, but what was your other besides the the initial commit from Miles Farmer what was your other big takeaway just from the weekend with the prospect maybe that Nebraska may have made some big headway with
0: well i think Ty Robinson is he was the headliner of the group and and he's he's the guy that that they really 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 need out of this out of this group of recruits uh, because they have invested so much time and effort in recruiting him, he's been right at the top of the list from day one. And uh, you know, with his connections to the state, with his mom being from O'Neill, his dad having played basketball at Shattown State, both parents went to college there. Um, and he's visited now three or four different times. So this is a kid that they needed to impress. They did that. Now it's 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 kind of he's on commit watch. I would say. You know, I, I don't know exactly when he's going to make that decision, but now I, I like Nebraska's chances. I've actually kind of pegged him I put my future cast in for him going to Nebraska uh, so we'll see you know when he makes that decision um, it, but I, I like where Nebraska is positioned at this point in time with the big four-star defensive end out of Arizona.
2: Nate you know this game itself is a Friday game um, can coaches start being in living room Sunday or Monday?
0: I, I, Sunday night um, or Sunday is, is when you're going to start to see them out on the road Uh, And a lot of times you you hear about those first in-home visits happening Sunday night. So, uh, and and that's what's, you're going to see a strong, you know, hard and heavy pace uh, of in-home visits happening from the staff. They're going to be covering all sorts of, you know, a little bit of everywhere uh, as they try to wrap things up and and really kind of put a bow on things heading into that early signing period so that they only have a couple spots left uh, to really worry about in January. And they can kind of turn their focus more to that 2020 class you think January.
2: they sign i mean the december 19th wednesday signing day um later in december do you think they can sign about 25 26 by by the 19th
0: yeah that's what i'm kind of predicting i think anywhere from you know 23 to 25 is is probably what i think we'll see with
2: three to four additionals after and then i, I they're still going to hold one or two for transfers right yeah I
0: mean, that's i i think that uh, we'll probably see a class of 27, 28 with a handful of, you know, two or three spots held back for for grad transfers or, or just regular. Well, today, transfers.
2: right now, there's 24 openings. Mm-hmm. And then that doesn't count a guy, Thomas. It doesn't count maybe a Caleb Lightborn, a Quashawn Alexander, or any other potential guy that could leave uh, based on attrition and not being really a factor on this roster at this point. So. Uh, I don't think they have any problem getting to 30 new additional scholarship no, I, players.
0: So. Yeah, I don't think so either, and and, uh, and that's good. I mean, they they're they're all about kind of maximizing the roster size, and uh, and I think by by next. By the time fall camp starts next year, you're going to see well over 100 new faces between uh, since the time Scott Frost and his staff arrived.
2: Well, it's going to be fun, and uh, make sure you're on Husker Online because after the Iowa game starting Sunday, Nate Klaus and the entire Husker Online recruiting team will have you up to date over those three crucial weeks of recruiting that will go on from late November to early December.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.